Welcome back to episode 43 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman. And today we bring you another installment of our Mythical Creature series with Andreas Antonopoulos. Here are just a few things we discuss. Does crypto need a catastrophic event for mass adoption to occur? Are we at a tipping point for the world economy? We then get into his one network multi-chain concept. And finally, we get his thoughts on NFTs and Decentraland. All right, let's listen in. special guest coming in later yes actually like in 10 minutes yeah in a few minutes we yeah. should be seeing andreas antonopoulos our white whale dude what'd you call dude. him the white whale? great white buffalo okay <laughs> <laughs> you keep changing it up on me i feel like oh animal. yeah it's because we got we got a bunch of names for all these like uh what would we call them these uh legendary creatures sure whatever mythics yeah. article creatures there mythics. you go let's call them mythics yeah, man, especially Andreas, because, like, you know, everyone listening probably has, like, just the same experience. Well, maybe not everyone, but if you don't, you should probably go, like, watch some of his content. Yeah. Or listen or read some of his books, because, like, if you're looking for someone to really explain, like, on a, it, like in a way that you it, you can understand it real well, and it's, like, you can he conveys the passion of the subject. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, he's your guy, you know. Andreas is, is the one who really brought us into this. Well, he got me peaked, man, because I saw him first on the Joe Rogan podcast in 2014. Yeah. You know? And yeah. to me at the time, he was just some guy on the Joe Rogan podcast, right? And then he started talking about this Bitcoin thing, which I already vaguely knew about at the yeah. time. Yeah. I heard it, like, peripherally. Like, some gamers were talking about it and stuff, but I never actually looked into it. See, I I, I didn't know I think it I saw it, too, yeah. but I didn't really pay attention enough to be, like, curious. Not until somebody talked to me about Bitcoin, like, in real life, like a physical, yeah. you know, conversation. Yeah. And then, then I started doing research on Bitcoin. I, I found uh, Andreas's YouTube videos, and then uh, from there I got into the white paper, mm-hmm. and then just got hooked. Yeah. So yeah, basically, if if he didn't exist, more than likely I would have been way late to the party. You yeah. Know what I mean, oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was like my own laziness that like didn't get me to commit to the level I would like to have committed it in 2014 when I first heard about it. Yeah, so, you know what I mean. Well, I mean, you were dealing with school and yeah. I mean, there's like I call it laziness. It's just like like life, dude. It, there's 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 definitely life. There's a layer of life uh, complicating things, and there was also the ecosystem wasn't like super intuitive back then, dude. No, for sure, it was tough to navigate. Yeah, it was like you know Decentraland, how we had to envision what it was. Yeah. And yeah, because there was nothing actually built. There right? was nothing there. There was nothing yeah. to, like to interact with. Yeah. But I figured out the as far as I went, because I wanted to purchase like an altcoin at the time, but as far as I got was downloading the Circle app, I think is what it was called. Circle Pay. Yeah. Just buying like That's 50, right. $50 worth of Bitcoin. And then I don't really know what happened after that. But for some reason, I just like forgot about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I just never went deeper. I don't know. But and then all of a sudden you checked and it was like three hundred yeah. bucks or something. Like in twenty, yeah, I, yeah, I did like a six x without me doing anything. I was yeah. like, whoa, hold yeah. on, this might be what I've been missing out on. Yeah, yeah. And then I, yeah, went down the rabbit hole, dude. Got obsessed, like straight up obsessed. Right. But he knows that, dude. I'm sure everyone he meets is like similar story. Yeah. And that's his purpose, right? His purpose is to spread the word. Yeah. You know, it's not a religion or a cult or anything like that. But yeah, we were just watching his videos and he was talking about how. Ethereum has piqued his interest, and he's writing a book about, you know, programming for Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he really programming likes... Programming for Ethereum? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Okay. And how he's like really into kind of like all the new technologies being developed. Yeah, he's a very tech guy, which is so. <clears throat> yeah, when we talk to him, we're not going to try and go too deep into that aspect because it's yeah. it's been it's been beaten to death. Yeah, he talks about the technology a lot, which we no, I really appreciate because that's what I like a lot too. Yeah. Uh, but we want to talk about like the grander effects of cryptocurrencies because this technology really affects the foundations of our economy worldwide. Yeah, it's it's bigger than it's bigger than tech. Yeah, I mean, yeah. te- tech is the is the source and everything. But like, I mean, while we're talking about this, like, the internet, whenever it was devised and created, like, it, it was a non-existent platform before it was created, yeah. right? Yeah. So this cryptocurrency thing, like, we have a financial system that us here in the first world, if you you know, if you're in a developed country, we're we're, you know, we can't live. We're without pretty comfortable. It. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's this new system in town that's competing against it. Yeah. And. Well, I want to find out his thoughts on that and exactly how far that's going to go. Is you know, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the the one of the common like quotes that we use from from Andreas is the fact that it's still the early '90s of the internet. Yeah, and you know, we're trying to everybody's trying to take advantage of it. Well, see, that's the thing, and he advocates like it's so early, like just experiment. It's, we're in like an experimental phase, right? Yeah. So just create something, and I don't know. It's it's so hard to predict what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you could, then you're, you know, you're in a good place. Like if you can predict exactly what's going to happen, then. Yeah. Then you're like <laughs> super ahead. But yeah, if you could predict, you'd already easy, be right? like a hundred millionaire just by investing in Bitcoin in 2011. Well, some people did have that foresight. I they guess. did. They did. You know, they first heard about it and they're like, you know what? This is a no brainer. Yeah. This is going to happen. Yeah. I guess in order to come to that conclusion, you have to you had to understand at the time like the the serious problems with our traditional finance system. Yeah, the economics, the technology, yeah, the, economics. the the fact that it solves like a fundamental computer science problem. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, all that stuff you had to like understand back in 2011. You had to already know it. And I guess it's yeah, the timing of it was like perfect because it was com- right after the financial collapse, right? So yeah. all. all this like the landscape was everyone was trying to figure out like what went wrong. So people were starting to figure out like the, the root exactly. issues, the root concerns with our traditional system. Yeah, man. So it was, yeah. it was Back, part of the, I mean, I was part I was, of the zeitgeist at the time. Exactly. I, but I was, what well, I was like 15 or something when that went down. Yeah. So I wasn't like really, you wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking too much about it. Right. It's like, bro, why do I care about fiat? Yeah. See, and that's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all this <laughs> shit, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, most people, they're not even thinking about it. I mean, because they got other concerns, right? They got families. They got, you know, all kinds of concerns that, you know, have their attention at the moment. Mm-hmm. But, man, we got, hopefully we get some into some juicy stuff with Andreas. Yeah, we want to talk about Decentraland, too, hopefully. Yeah. All you Decentraland listeners, man, just big things happening in the future for Decentraland. Dude, we're, we're like, what, a day or two out from a new year? That's true. This is December 30th. Yeah, it's the last podcast of the year. Yep. I mean, y'all won't see this probably for like a few days or more than most likely, but yeah, this is a good way to wrap up the year for sure. Yeah. As we wait. And this video will be at the very beginning of next year, so it's a good way to start. There you go. <laughs> so yeah. we got a couple more minutes until he comes in, and uh, we only have a few minutes with Andreas. This guy's really busy, so we want to make sure we use the, the time wisely. And a quick little Andrew Yang update. Apparently, he's got like a day or something, right? You've been you've That's been right. showing me nonstop like their campaign yeah, fundraising, man. dude. Yang twenty twenty. He's almost there to like to qualify for what the next debate? Is that no, what no, 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 no. So yeah, so he's got three more polls to qualify for the next debate. Uh-huh. And the problem is that they're not polling anybody. 
right so now. What's that deadline though for the th- for the three million? January. T- so the the three million is December thirty first, uh, yeah. eleven uh, twelve p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, that's like in a couple of days. Oh, yeah, two days. Very soon. So he's got less than a million left, like seven hundred thousand left. And uh, but that's that's just for him to you know uh, get a bunch of donations, right? He's competing in number of of donations, volume of donations. But um, if he doesn't make that threshold, what if, happens? If he doesn't get the polls, if he doesn't get five percent in four polls or seven percent in early polls, two seven percent, yeah, he's not going to make the debate. The mm-hmm. pro- So the issue is he can make the numbers, mm-hmm. but there nobody's being polled right now. That's the issue, and the deadline for that is January tenth to qualify. Yeah, which is like twelve days from now. Yeah, so it's going to come down the line. I think he is going to make it. That's my prediction. He did the best. Well, like, man, it's like, like the last debate that we just had. Like, oh, he, for he, sure, he shined the best. I, I, that's the first time I ever seen him got like mainstream praise from. Absolutely, like, you know what I mean. Before Absolutely. he was like the ghost of the uh, of the table. You know, nobody talked about him for a reason. You know, a lot of the other networks would shut him down. Yeah, you know? yeah. But this no, last absolutely. One I, he did really good. Like he had some like off the cuff questions. It seemed like. He, uh, but he answered them as good as anyone could. Yeah, let's hope for the best, man. So this is gonna be twenty twenty is a critical critical year. A lot of reasons, man. Big, yeah, big so many election. reasons, man. Like the economy's at the brink of like. Is there even like a, is there an Olympics this year too? There might be. You don't give I a per- fuck. I personally <laughs> don't don't care about that. It's like fuck all that noise. Dude, yeah, Olympics man. comes around every four years, man. That doesn't excite you a little bit. Yeah, the financial collapse is like more way intriguing. more on your mind. Yeah, it's way pressing. Yeah, for good reason, dude. I got you like spooked now, didn't I? Yeah, man, for real. Yeah, for real. I'm I'm concerned just because my family, all the boomers that I know, got 401ks, and you know, there's a threat. I mean, it's it's almost obvious. Yeah, it's almost obvious when you actually look at it. Yeah, yeah, and you have to understand. And like then I there's said. like there's a correlation between the Great Depression mm-hmm. and what's happening right now. Like it almost. It, like it's as if we're repeating history, like exactly, except yeah. extremely worse because we're talking about the collapse of currencies, yeah, not just like the economy, right? I mean, like well, it's, extre- it's a lot worse because a lot of the uh, same, I, what would you call it, like just mishandling of our economy, but by the centralized entities, but you know, over over stimulating uh, a downed economy. You know, what's it, what's that term called? Uh, quantitative easing. Oh yeah, qu- quantitative easing. Yeah, all that stuff. It's at it's at peak, you know, all time highs. Basically, is what I'm saying. So there's a lot of uh, is he calling in? No, no, not yet. Okay, but you're right to be worried, man. This is a big thing. Yeah, man. It's like all the boomers. They've they've had the mentality of saving money, doing p- putting money in the 401k. Yeah. For their retirement, and they've some of them have successfully done so. Uh, but it's at the brink of like falling apart at right at the at the buzzard. Yeah. That's that's what I'm concerned about. But and then I get the feeling like this is like conspiracy theory, like tinfoil hat, like stuff. And well, because you're, you know, yeah, we're, we're speculating beforehand. Yeah, and then we but saw a video about Ray Dalio. He's saying the exact same thing. Yeah, billionaire investor, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what What would be his motive for like making up something like that? I don't think he has one. No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Hey, Andreas, can you hear us? Oh, yeah. We cannot hear you. Um. One second. 
Yeah, we 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 don't hear. That's anything. why. Can you hear me now? There you go. Yes, sir. All right. I just have to switch audio sources. How's it going? Excellent, excellent. Thank you for having us, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. I know uh, you probably know we have some limited time. I'm literally doing this is my uh, third interview in a row, and I've got two more to go, and they're in 30 minute slots, and we didn't leave time in between. So let's do this. All right. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank I you. like the energy. I've already <laughs> had too much coffee. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so uh, so obviously um, we we got into cryptocurrency because of you. Uh, yeah. We uh, a lot of this stuff that we've we've known now is really because of understanding like how everything works uh, through your videos and everything. So we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so, but getting into the meat of things, we wanted to get your perspective on like the grand socioeconomic effects of cryptocurrency. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, great! Thank you. That's a topic I'm close and dear to my heart. Absolutely. So, so we've been using your quote on how blockchain is in the early 90s of the internet. And one of, yeah. the, one of the things that we keep debating about is whether or not crypto requires this grand event for mass adoption to occur. Like, like, mm. like potentially a collapse in, the, in currency itself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get your opinions yeah. on that. Uh, absolutely not. I don't think it requires a grand event, and I certainly hope it doesn't require a grand event because, um, you know, as, as I've said in the past, you do not want to, um, you do not look forward to the boat sinking so you can find out if the lifeboat works. Um, you know, Bitcoin's a lifeboat in that circumstance, and we don't want, we don't want the Titanic going down so we can find out if there's enough space. Um, and the truth is, there isn't. There isn't. Uh, crypto isn't ready to take over um, currency use for the world. And in any case, that's not the point. Um, in my opinion, Bitcoin isn't there to be the dominant system that everybody only uses and the only choice. If we end up in that situation, there will be even more incentive to co-opt and corrupt Bitcoin. And we will create uh, other power imbalances and monopoly structures. The whole point of this space, to me, has always been choice. Uh, so it's about having lots of different choices. And people are already making the choice in the places where they need to make the choice today. So people who need crypto are using crypto. Uh, and it may be a small number of people now, but certainly um, you know, fragile, antiquated uh, banking and transactional systems that are expensive and slow and full of uh, inequity and injustice and barriers to commerce and competition um, are now having to compete with a system that is fast and secure and uh, low cost and doesn't have intermediaries and barriers. Um, you know, how does that play out? Uh, they're going to have to try real hard to stomp on this one. Uh, and they already are because uh, in an open competition, the, the fragile antiquated systems lose. It's as simple as that. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, we've always like talked about that and we always have this debate on whether or not like governments are going to adopt a permissionless currency when we know for a fact right now that a bunch of governments including the United States they're they're tinkering around with creating their own uh, crypto cryptocurrency, a permissioned version of a cryptocurrency. Right. But how how will governments you know, exist and operate or coexist with a permissionless coin. When you and I, when we do a transaction, we can send each other Bitcoin instead of a USD coin. Yeah. Well, we have the choice to do both and uh, both will coexist for a very, very, very long time. Um, and I, I don't think that's a, that's a problem. 
Um, I think most governments won't go to a permissionless currency um, because uh, control over currency is such a big part of how uh, nation states exert control uh, both over their populations and also how they play geopolitical games. That's one of the fundamental problems of national currency is, is that their primary purpose isn't commerce. Uh, and it's certainly not the people and serving them with a tool that they can use for commerce. Uh, their, their primary purpose is, is control, and um, both control domestically as well as um, geopolitical control. So uh, from that perspective, I, I don't think most countries will do that. However, some countries will, and the reason they will is because they will not have an adequately secure, adequately stable, mm. um, and adequately valuable alternative, or it will be too expensive for them to do that. So there are a whole bunch of countries around the world today that don't have a national currency. I don't know if you knew that. Mm. Um, there are countries that don't have their own national currency, uh, either through a de facto collapse, uh, where simply um, their currency is too expensive to print and they're mm. gradually sliding into a situation where everybody uses currencies from adjacent countries um, or uh, far removed cu countries. Uh, a good example of that is Somalia, for example. From what I understand, right. um, you can trade just as easily with US dollars there as, as you can with Somali money. They haven't done uh, central bank printing of Somali money in a long time. Uh, because there is no central government to do that. Uh, from what I understand, I may be wrong about some of the details. Sure, sure. Uh, we've seen a similar things in some uh, former Yugoslav republics where they, they ended up choosing to just use euro. Uh, because why bootstrap a whole currency system that costs hundreds of millions of dollars to print all of these colored pieces of paper? Yeah. Um, just, just use the next door people's one. Works well enough. Doesn't have too much inflation. Um, so if... Your ability to actually control your population and play these games and control inflation through your own currency has already gone away. Mm -hmm. At that point, why not? Yeah. Right. So at some point, I think we're going to see either a government adopting a permissionless currency or the vast majority of the people within that country adopting a permissionless cryptocurrency because there is no better alternative and therefore it just becomes the de facto currency of that country um one way or another it may take decades sure. but uh i i think that's one of the litmus tests like one of the milestones when that happens you know something big has changed so that brings me to the next question where if we have several countries starting to adopt permissionless currency let's say bitcoin for example do you think that will have effect on the the global reserve currency that is the U.S. dollar when you have potentially several other countries using a permissionless coin? Well, the uh, the global reserve currency, the U.S. dollar, has a much, much, much bigger problem, uh, and that is, uh, like most empires before, the U.S. has overreached and overstretched, mm -hmm. and um, as a result, it's lost its center of balance. So. Um, Overextended empires tend to have this prolonged downfall. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the first things that happens is they lose uh, the ability to bully uh, other countries through geopolitics by being the reserve currency. Mm -hmm. um, I think the dollar uh, started its, its exit from being the world reserve currency about five to 10 years ago, yep. um, and it's accelerating. And it's accelerating not because of Bitcoin. It's accelerating because of China. It's mm -hmm. accelerating because of Russia. It's accelerating because of all of the other countries that, um, that don't like um, a system where the US government gets to impose uh, sanctions and controls on their banking um, from afar. You know, mm -hmm. It's a tool of power. And so um, 
other other countries are now challenging that power. And I I think already from the perspective of China and Russia, uh, de-dollarization, as it's called, has started. Uh, now the question is, when is that tipping point uh, where it really becomes obvious to a lot of people that the U.S. dollar no longer has the power that it used to have as that unique and only reserve currency? And and that moment is going to be critical because. A lot of the reserve currency status, if you like, um, is about preserving the illusion, right? It's, it's that uh, shared belief. Uh, if that belief cracks, uh, it's a very quick transition. Um, and one of the impacts of that is that the US dollar enjoys um, unusually and unreasonably low interest rates because of its status as the world reserve currency, because other countries seem to be forced or feel forced mm -hmm. to hold it in order to buy oil. Mm -hmm. And that petrodollar relationship and reserve currency relationship uh, gives us these unreasonably low interest rates. Basically, we get a premium on our treasury bills um, that the rest of the world pays because of the status. The moment there's cracks in that facade, those interest rates are going to bounce up mm -hmm. hard. Uh, because uh, it will no longer be able to maintain that illusion. So th that, that's not going to be a pleasant experience for Americans. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that kind of is the grand event we were alluded to in that first question. Uh, yeah. Kind of like we're trying well, to... I sure as hell hope not, because you know one of the problems is that the, the easiest way uh, to respond to a crisis like that is to start a massive war. Uh, yeah. The easiest mm -hmm. way to, yeah. to, to, to deal with an economic crisis of that style is, is to create a provocation and uh, creates a national emergency, a fake national emergency, um, in order to pump trillions of dollars into the military-industrial complex, which is something that you know all empires do, mm -hmm. and all empires have done. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping we get the other way, yeah. which is the long, slow slide into a multipolar world, mm -hmm. um, with hopefully uh, people becoming more independent, more flexible. Um, and uh, you know, diversifying effectively, uh, geographically, uh, uh, ethnically, and and also professionally, uh, so that they don't have to go down with a ship. Absolutely, you, you know, it's funny. I, I don't like the doomsday approach yeah. to Bitcoin. I, I don't like Bitcoin as I, we and then the world crashes and then we get rich. Yeah. Like, uh, that's a really childish and also pretty cruel attitude towards personal enrichment. To totally agree. The last thing that we want is some catastrophic event to to kind of like shift the the um, the wealth to to another generation. <laughs> but but isn't right. it, isn't it in another way like almost like setting like a reset button? There's the, the current uh, establishment is so set in stone based on generations of wealth that. You know, there's always it's huge... not. Um, I, I think that's the other thing that is a common misconception. But if you look through history, um, you know, the the idea is that nothing happens for decades, and then decades happen in weeks. Um, yeah. History does not work in a linear fashion. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a, it's it human behavior uh, works with tipping points. So you can see something that seems like it's eternal. Uh, and then um, over a, a matter of uh, a year or even a matter of weeks, uh, topples. I mean, I, I remember 1989. Um, I remember watching on TV as the Berlin Wall went down. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked me two months earlier if the Soviet Union would ever go away, 
uh, I would have laughed. Um, you know, even even at, at that age, um, you know, 17 years old, 18 years old, it. I had enough political uh, acuity to to see the Soviet Union at the time as something that was, you know, almost eternal, like a, a superpower that seemed to be so strong from the outside, mm-hmm. um, and then suddenly it was gone. And, and part of the reason is because that, just as financial systems, is very much dependent on that shared illusion of stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the moment that cracks, uh, things move very, very fast. So, you know, whether you look at that or you look at Lehman Brothers on a smaller scale, you know, mm-hmm. who, who could have possibly imagined that, uh, or whatever the next crisis is. So I wouldn't say that you need a, a giant global reset in order to shake things up. Markets get shaken up all the time. Uh, financial markets are no different. Uh, technology is one of the best uh, mechanisms to disrupt and... Um, and gradually or rapidly change the status quo. So mm-hmm. I, I think and I hope we've got a good chance of doing this um, the easy way rather than doing it the hard way. Right. Yeah, kind of like um, like like we were saying, the 90s of the Internet, you know, as far as, for as blockchain. But isn't cryptocurrency sort of like not necessarily an attack, but a, 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 an extreme update to the financial system and the foundation of everything that we built on? So for the last 10 years, we've been experiencing like, you know, extreme growth in the stock market and quantitative easing has helped the economy, so to speak. Um, don't you, don't you <laughs> it feel... It depends how you define the economy. Right. If you define the economy as the market, quantitative easing has helped the market. Right, exactly. Um, but not the economy. Uh, you, you, you know, I walk out here and ask 10 people what sure. they think the economy is doing. Um, they're not going to agree that we, we have the, the greatest economy ever. So, um, so wouldn't you agree that uh, we're at a tipping point for for the uh, the, the market itself? That uh, I, I think our economy is in a very uh, the U.S. economy is in a very fragile state, but so is the world economy. Primarily because nothing changed in two thousand eight, so right. uh, nothing was fixed. It was all papered over, um, inflated up, and the you know the, after a, about a year of desperate measures, the desperate measures became permanent, uh, the, the deck chairs got rearranged, and the dance started again. I mixed all of the metaphors there. <laughs> so uh, now, you know, uh, in 20, May 2020, we have the Bitcoin happening. So at that point, the inflation rate of Bitcoin is now less than the inflation of the U.S. dollar. Does that have any yeah. impact on the situation for the dollar? For the dollar, no. The dollar has other things, much, much bigger things to worry about, including the dollar itself um, than Bitcoin. Uh, But uh, does it have an impact on Bitcoin? You know, um, I I think there's uh, I think there's a real danger in um, what I'd like to call kind of um, monetary manifest destiny. Uh, The idea that uh, a monetary model and, and we've seen this, especially in the last two years, with the emergence of this uh, kind of maximalist approach to the monetary model um, and um, the stock-to-flow model and all of yeah, these uh, right. predictions about monetary economics around Bitcoin that, uh, that say, very simply, that uh, from a monetary perspective, Bitcoin success is manifest destiny. It's, um, it's inevitable. Uh, it's unstoppable. 
And uh, more importantly, nothing else needs to happen. Nothing else matters. All that matters is the soundness of the money. All that matters is the inflation rate. I think that's a very dangerous attitude. It's dangerous because it's short-sighted from two perspectives. First of all, it assumes that anything other than Bitcoin that doesn't have the same monetary policy is doomed to fail, which gives you the maximalist perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's not dangerous. That's, uh, to me, just a bit short-sighted. Um, but the counter to that is that we don't need to worry about utility. We don't need to worry about education. We don't need to worry about user interfaces. We don't need to worry about better wallets. We don't need to worry about um, better stability, better software. We don't need to worry about building infrastructure. None of that matters, uh, because the stock-to-flow model is going to make Bitcoin victorious no matter what. The hardest money wins, even if it's the hardest to use, as well as yeah. the hardest from a monetary perspective. Right. That's not true. Right. Um, and so from that perspective, sure, the, the, the model may be correct. The monetary characteristics may prevail, but that's a long-term game. Um, and it's equally important what we do in the short term and what we do on an interpersonal level and what we do on a social level. It's equally important that um, we behave with, with, with dignity and respect towards the people who are new to this space and not with kind of sneering condensation. Mm -hmm. It's equally important that we build better software, better infrastructure, better interfaces, uh, and that we continue to work hard to make this a better, more useful system that people can use securely. Uh, and if the monetary aspects also help a lot, great. Um, but let's not just you know, say, oh, it's inevitable. Sure. Um, the monetary thing is the only thing that matters. I think that's very dangerous. Um, and it leads to the kind of complacency and arrogance and hubris that uh, has doomed many previous uh, movements and technologies and communities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in other words, what you're saying is in a vacuum, Bitcoin may not necessarily follow this linear regression curve or stock-to-flow model unless we continue focusing on education, better user interfaces, better uh, better overall kind of like, you know, just education on what Bitcoin is and how it actually solves like real-world problems. Yeah, because I guess... It's still, uh, I'm sorry. it's still very possible to fail. Uh, right. on multiple dimensions in this experiment uh, if we sit back and rest on our laurels and pretend that this is inevitable. Right. Um, and I, I think that's dangerous. I, I think it's important we continue to remind people why this is important, and uh, Lambos is not the correct answer. <laughs> um, if we continue to educate, we right. continue to behave uh, in a neutral way and uh, explain to people why this technology offers a great deal of important characteristics which have to do with freedom and empowerment and independence and um, uh, freedom of expression and all of these great characteristics which go beyond the soundness of uh, the currency uh, and continue to strive to make it a better experience and to bring more people in um, rather than put tests in the way and say, oh, you're not pure enough to participate in our great monetary experiment because your politics are not aligned with ours or because your, uh, you know, your carnivory isn't carnivorous enough. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, one of the things I really liked uh, about your talk a few weeks ago was you were explain, explaining kind of like the final final evolution of blockchain in this one network multi-chain idea. Can you describe that a little bit more? 
Well, the idea here was that I think we're going to gradually move into uh, the next phase here where, where technologies often move through these phases where at first you have fragmentation, um, where people go out and explore all of the possible alternative paths. Uh, think of it as uh, a, a tree and you're, you're searching in a, in a breadth first, you're searching all of the branches of the tree to explore all of the possible avenues. And we've seen that happen in crypto for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's led to this explosion, uh, the Cambrian, Cambrian explosion, if you like. Nature right. does this uh, in evolutionary terms. Fill every niche. Uh, not everything survives. Uh, and gradually you start uh, seeing some common elements become more successful than others. You have some consolidation, you have some setbacks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe you even have a, a couple of extinction level events. Uh, and we've had some markets that have been uh, clearing for the soul and for the ecosystem and have cleared out some of the junk. That's also a healthy part of how open markets work. Mm -hmm. um, but at some point, I think we transition to the next phase, and the next phase is about interoperability. It's where we start thinking about standardizing some of the capabilities, some of the protocols, the features, the interfaces, and building networks to bridge uh, all of the various niches together um, to better take advantage of the, of, the, of the most successful characteristics that have emerged from all of that period of experimenting and fragmentation. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Uh, I think that happens a lot with second layer networks and even perhaps third layer networks, uh, where we start seeing the use of, of technologies like atomic swaps and other trustless mechanisms for exchanging one currency for another, and, and perhaps even exchanging state, uh, so one uh, smart contract state influencing uh, another smart contract state in another blockchain. Um, in order to uh, weave together um, the blockchains from a user experience perspective mm -hmm. so that uh, people can comfortably move between them for different niche applications. Uh, and that doesn't mean that there aren't dominant players. There are absolutely dominant players, especially in very specific uh, categories. Uh, money, for example, I think has already been dominated by Bitcoin and will continue to be dominated by Bitcoin unless something massively changes. Uh, but there are other domains too, and I think we're going to see um, solutions emerge in other domains where Bitcoin doesn't want to go or can't go because of the design characteristics it has. And um, so the one network many chains is basically this. I don't want many chains. I simply recognize the fact that that's where we are. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important distinction. This isn't a, a matter of saying that all of them have economic value or that this is a desirable outcome. Hell, I'd love a world in which we had the simplicity of a single unit and a single protocol that did everything. Uh, I think it's unlikely to emerge. Um, and in fact, I think we're actually going to experience more fragmentation in the future. But I would like to see uh, consolidation, interoperability, standardization at the user experience level. And I think we can achieve that with networks that span multiple blockchains. And eventually those networks themselves get standardized, uh, consolidated, and you might have the emergence of one interoperability protocol um, that works across um, all of the chains. And it starts with simply a series of bridges, gateways, and routers, just like the internet did. Yeah. You know, the internet was composed from a hodgepodge of competing physical layer networks uh, that all disagreed about the best properties to have in terms of latency and speed and other characteristics. Um, 
And then, uh, out of necessity, um, protocols, well, bridges emerged, uh, basically computers that took one side and connected it on the other side to a different network. Uh, we're already seeing that with atomic swaps, decentralized exchanges, and things like that. And then eventually a common protocol um, that was able to hide all of the details. Mm -hmm. But underneath, those battles are still being waged. You know, we're still waging battles between 5G internet yeah. and Wi-Fi internet and satellite internet and landline and cable modems. Those base physical networks haven't changed. I think blockchains are more akin to those physical networks. They have to make hard design trade-offs. Uh, and those hard design trade-offs are unique to the, the, the circumstances that they exist in. Um, and I think we will see a protocol emerge that hides all of those differences uh, that creates an abstraction layer. Okay. Um, as for the final question, we don't really hear you talk about NFTs all that often. Um, so we're invested in this, uh, this cryptocurrency called Decentraland or this uh, platform called Decentraland. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your yeah. general thoughts on, on NFTs and the fact that, I, in our opinion, I think blockchain and gaming has like this, this really big role to play? Well, if you haven't heard me talk about it, um, that's a that's a problem because I am very very excited about NFTs, um, uh, non fungible tokens. Uh, to be more specific, uh, I, I wrote a whole chapter about NFTs and mastering Ethereum. Uh, in fact, the token chapter is something I spent a lot of time working on. Um, and at the time, ERC seven twenty one was the the gold standard. There, there's some developments there, but it's still kind of one of the leading uh, mechanisms. Uh, I I hope I'm remembering the number correctly. But in any case, um, deeds or non fungible tokens or uh, uniquely identifiable uh, tokens that that allow you to uh, address an individual item, mm -hmm. whether that's a physical item that you've tokenized and connected to, such as a house or boat or a car in the physical world, or it's a virtual item, which is even more interesting because then you can you can encompass all of the state and all of the ownership characteristics on the blockchain, so it becomes intrinsic to the blockchain. Um, you know, whether that's uh, the sword of Gondor or uh, the shield of of Glor or some other silly <laughs> name, um, some in-game item. Yeah, I think there's an enormous opportunity for um, game economies uh, to become uh, integrated, traversable, liquid, uh, and to have uh, secondary and tertiary markets emerge spontaneously. And that becomes very, very powerful when you have non-fungible tokens. Um, but if you take it further, it's not just games. I think in business as well, um, the ability to take various forms of intellectual property um, um, and non-tangible things, um, for example, um, uh, status, reputation, um, trust uh, metrics, and and use non-fungible tokens to uh, connect those to markets. I, I don't know. It's 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 a very interesting topic. I find it fascinating. I think gaming might be one of the breakthrough applications Same. that makes Bitcoin and um, and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, not necessarily necessary, but interesting to first world developed uh, economies. Because right now, look, Argentina needs crypto. Venezuela needs yeah. crypto. Uh, Greece needs crypto. Uh, but uh, does, does, does Canada need crypto? Not really. Does, right. does the United States need crypto or Japan? Not really. Right, right. But maybe 
America, Canada, and Japan want crypto because it is the coolest way to do something you couldn't do before, which is gaming exactly. Um, exactly. or some other application. Yeah, very, very big fan of NFTs. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Andreas, uh, thank you very much for joining us. I know you have other uh, interviews to go to. We really appreciate you joining us. Hopefully, we can have you back pretty soon. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry I only had uh, 30 minutes this time, but I, I'd, I'd love to come back and, and do another one soon. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. All right. Take Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're right. That went by like freaking... Yeah, that was the fastest <laughs> 30 minutes I've ever experienced. That was... You called it. You're yeah. like... You see, the funny thing is like... What we spend like days, yeah, we thinking spend... about like because we do this. I I didn't hardly even got a word out. That's how fast yeah. it went by. Yeah, but we spend so much time thinking about like, man, this is an important man. Like he's got so much in his head, right? Yeah, and Andreas, I mean, he likes to uh, he likes to monologue a lot. So as soon as you exactly. give him one question, he could at least. I think that's where he shines. Yeah, like, for if, sure. If you just give him an open platform, he will just, just talk talk away. That's what I was like saying. Like, dude, how come like. Well, he's Canadian, I guess, and he has done that. I was like, well, how come the United States hasn't, like, put him on a stage and, yeah. like, asked him all these... Because we, we, we've witnessed Congress how... how As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I, I think we watched this independently, like, just randomly. What? Before we even started this whole crypto thing or this podcast thing. But you watched the Canadian uh, uh, Congress address with Andreas Antonopoulos. It was, like, yeah. two to three hours long. It was pretty long, yeah. And uh, we both watched it, like, independently without, without even talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it was... It was extremely interesting. I mean, there was a government like intrinsically interested in yeah. how blockchain works and like all the little. I, I didn't. I didn't feel like the attacks that like the United yeah. States government, like especially when they bring in Zuckerberg. Oh yeah, and all those, yeah, like, the Libra sure. Commission and stuff. For sure, there's a lot of attacking going on, right? And not yeah. so much. They're not trying to understand. They just want to impose. Yeah, yeah. You know? But the, the Canadian government. Uh, they're maybe wide open to it. <laughs> that's their reputation, right? They're just like nice people up there. I think maybe ultimately, like any other government that's not the United States, they're not number one, right? The U.S. is True. number one, so they they feel like everybody's out to get them. So they're they're more defensive than they are like open to new technologies. Mm. And not only that, we got a bunch of old geezers in our Congress. Yeah, and and probably it's it's probably the same, but with uh, the Canadian Congress. But nonetheless, like we have like. A, a huge resistance to new stuff in 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 our government. Yeah, and it's probably the reason why we're seeing a whole lot of like, whenever Zuckerberg comes in, they don't even know how Zuckerberg makes money. Correct. And and you know I could tell Zuckerberg he was trying really hard not to make fun of him. Yeah. But you know how do you how do you compete with this? How do you like how do you transition to something new when the government doesn't really understand like any of the new stuff that's happening? Yeah. Well, let's talk about like that. Our introduction question, because that was like kind of like the main talking point that we really wanted to get yeah. into. So, so we were talking about this for for a while, yeah. and um, we watched a bunch of videos with Ray Dalio, and we saw like how how our current situation with the economy <laughs> mirrors to what's going on than what happened in 1930s with the Great yeah. Depression. And I, I I guess the question we asked him is like. That, does shit have to hit the the way I would word it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Does shit have to hit the fan in order for people to wake up? Essentially, yeah. wake up like to all. I to me, I, I mean, he's got uh, you know, commercial obligations, right? He can't he can't just come out and like show this doom and gloom scenario because it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't reflect good. And it's probably not a good look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For he, sure. he said it himself. Like that's. Yeah. And, but no, uh, but I think he like at the root like he of course he understands he's like an a expert at like what's going on yeah. in a, uh, an economic scale 
Yeah, I don't think he wants to be like the Paul Revere, like the you know the. Well, he is the, the, the Paul Revere, but he doesn't want it. He doesn't want like want it to seem like uh like the the crypto community is like rooting for this. Oh yeah, to happen. Yeah, he doesn't want yeah. he doesn't want crypto to become this this uh this fear. Go to go to crypto yeah. because of fear. Exactly, like, like fear mongering, fear mongering campaign. And that's not what crypto is about because it's, it's inherently better in a lot of ways. And it it shouldn't be be about fear at all. Yeah. And so I understand like his position there, yeah. but I could tell that he knows that the dollar, everything that the dollar like used to represent is at the brink of like falling apart. Mm-hmm. Whether it happens in 2020 or 2025, it is literally a matter of time. Yeah. Because this, the, the, the thing that we're experiencing right now, if you look at the S&P 500, if you watch our last video, we, we looked at the S&P 500 chart and the NASDAQ. And it's at all-time highs. Yeah. And that's not sustainable, mm-hmm. right? And all the quantitative easing that's happening right now, like there's there's a tipping point where more quantitative easing is not going to help. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's sort of what we felt like we were going to have like a 30-minute conversation on, which, which you know, like he's got, he's got a vested interest not to like – well, I don't want to say he's got a vested interest. He doesn't want to fear monger. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to put it because – it is some scary shit when you sit down and start yeah. to think about it and talk about it. I don't think he wants that to be his reputation. He's the tech guy. Yeah, he's the tech he's guy. He's the guy who's evangelizing, like, what, what you know, what's what going on behind the scenes. Like, why uh, this is, like you called it, like an upgrade to the current financial system. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a legit upgrade. So, so I, w- I definitely, so I thought his book about um, Ethereum and programming in Ethereum, mm-hmm. I thought that book was, like, re- little bit more technical than what he alluded to because he talks about nft in there and and i'm sure it's probably a little bit more technical than like a general audience yeah uh but a lot of his video we've i mean we've seen a bunch of his videos and there's very little discussion on nfts no well if you put this video out there you title it and if andreas Sinopoulos on nfts we'll probably be the first yeah yeah that's 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 the point yeah and yeah, he wrote about it because, uh, you know, NFTs is well, like... it's a big thing, right? That's like one of the big things about And he he nailed, he nailed it, what he said. Like, okay, so he doesn't agree with us, or he at least he can't agree with us, that there needs to be some type of uh, yeah. catastrophic financial event in order for people to wake up and adopt this new system, right? Yeah. So the other route is then, okay, things are going to progress just like the internet did. Like, this is a, a new layer of technology that over time people are going to slowly wake up to just like they did the internet you know why did that happen because people figured out how to exploit the internet and like slowly by slowly you know the protocol yeah it had like a decade of like figuring out how to get everything you know the infrastructure laid out right for sure so if you correlate that to the crypto yeah so then we're anticipating like a slow gradual adoption of uh just organic users yeah and right now how who's using it right now like you said you know, people who really need it, like that's right. Yeah. Third world. See, uh, I like that take because uh, many countries need cryptocurrencies as like a vital sustainability yeah, you know, they, contribution. Yeah. But there's also a lot of countries that don't need cryptocurrencies. But like countries like us, we literally only use it to speculate. Yeah, basically. that's right. That's or right. to store, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a good store of value. Un- it's a yeah. good uncorrelated asset to traditional markets. You know, it's good to sit on. Yeah, for sure. It's not that crazy. You, you store it in a hardware or cold wallet. And just, There's like no risk. Yeah. You know, and, you know, but, uh, yeah, he nailed it when he said he thinks video game industry oh, yeah. is probably like going to be like a breakthrough moment. Yeah. yeah. 
if there's a if there's an audience who's gonna like uh, understand this technology like more intuitively, it's definitely like the gaming industry without question. Yeah, the, the gaming gamer player base. Once people figure out like, holy shit, yeah, these Hearthstone cards that I'm trading, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually have value to them and stuff. Right. Then they'll start looking into why. Well, what did you yeah. think of my segue into that question? Pretty good, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we were like racking our brains on figuring out yeah. how we could segue into like Decentraland. Yeah, we generally didn't think he like gave a fuck. Yeah, which is exactly a, a huge mist. You know, he uh, that's, and that's what I was saying. Is like, there's no way he doesn't know about this stuff. Yeah, he knows about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's I'll, like I'll, one of the innovations in Ethereum is the fact that you have digital assets mm-hmm. right and so and he kind of touched on security tokens like it's not just virtual assets they're real physical assets that you can uh digitize you know these security token offerings and stuff you know real estate actual physical real estate he went as far as to say what did he say like uh reputation and like non-tangible assets like that's fascinating yeah what if like celebrities can like nft their own fame well remember there was <laughs> a there was mean? a blockchain that was focused on like NFTing a bunch of celebrities and like yeah I remember here yeah I remember that and then it and it failed like you oh. you just <laughs> you just linked your Twitter account mm-hmm. because it has a blue check mark yeah and then all of a sudden you have you owned your NFT and you could decide to sell it or do whatever with it it's almost like your uh, <coughs> it's like your, an avatar it's like a caricature okay. yeah there's so many ideas out that, there and that yeah. was in 2017 and that that failed for like a number of reasons that I can't remember mm-hmm. but it had something to do with like the government or something. Yeah, man. Andreas is, like, the hypest person I've ever talked to, like, seen, interacted with. Yeah. Like, like dude, his brain operates on, like, a, a ridiculous, like, uh, amp, amp. Yeah, he's, like. he's, he's got a high motor. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a simple way to put it. No, it I tense, mean, I couldn't, like, get a word in, man. He's, yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt the flow of, go- of goodness that yeah, was yeah. coming out of him, you know? No, absolutely. Like, no. interrupt him with something stupid. Like, <laughs> it's like, so, what do you think about chicken or something <laughs> like that you know what i mean like he was spitting some dude he always does it man he spits gold yeah that's why he's got the reputation he has well as true to form i didn't maximize the video did you notice that no what does that mean what like, happened well because uh, the, the whole screen is being recorded right now oh and but what i can do is i can edit and like zoom into that part <laughs> what do you mean true to form like well because like every time we have an interview there's something always goes something wrong. goes wrong yeah, man you're right dude we're freaking rookies over here god damn it but it's okay it, it wasn't as bad. Like, better. Yeah. No, it was a good conversation. We got literally all the questions that we designed for. Yeah. We got them all in, dude. It means we're, get, that means we're getting better at making, uh, using our time wisely, I yeah, guess. Yeah, Meaning, yeah. Me, like, I, I really wanted him to go <laughs> deep into the doom and gloom scenario, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I get, get why it. he can't. Yeah. You know, that that's left to, up to us to, like, speculate on and... Yeah, yeah, and if you look up any random Andreas Antonopoulos video, he's always talking about the technology, how good it is, and like how it how it affects like countries that need some of this stuff. But we wanted to talk about like the existential, you know, threat that yeah. cryptocurrencies could cause, you know, once people realize, you know, their fiat currency counterpart is almost like a it's like a it's about to topple over. It's almost like, like a Ponzi scheme. Everybody calls fiat currency a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Well, anyone who who knows how it how it works. Yeah, and and again, I get it. Like he he can't go out there looking like he's starting a crusade. Like because he, he alluded yeah. to, there's been tons of movements like that in the past, and they exactly. all died out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All these like Occupy Wall Street, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like they don't have. They're like, all fear mongering. Exactly. Yeah. Like the system's fucked. The one percent's like a bunch of evil assholes, yeah, right? And yeah, it's yeah. like. He doesn't want crypto to turn into that. There's definitely like an underlying sentiment for that, you know? 
Yeah. With people who are frustrated, you know, with the traditional system. You know, he said it himself. What? He says, like, well, if you ask anybody about the economy, they'll tell you that the economy is not working for their market. Yeah, see, I, I really wanted to interject, like, okay. Dude, like, who uh, says that? Yeah, Andrew Yang. Exactly. Yeah, like, we needed to expand on our vision, our, our Damn, understanding man. of what an economy actually is. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Dude, he, he hit it right on the nail, because we're seeing it, too, like, the, all the stock markets that are, are up. Everything's like the economy's like from a from a graphical standpoint. Yeah, we look and at the graphs. Great. Everything's booming. Exactly, everything's booming. But then you go and uh, you talk to anybody, and or you you just look at the math. Mm-hmm. You know, in in Andrew Yang's like sort of lingo, you look at the math. One percent own eighty percent of all stocks, mm-hmm. and then like I think it was like twenty percent own like the next twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom fifty percent owns zero percent of stock, mm-hmm. and so if you even if like the the stock market is booming, it doesn't really affect most people. No. So uh, I mean, this shows like the wealth disparity just continues and continues to grow. That's why I, I've got this doom and gloom scenario in my head, dude. I can't rock. I can't knock it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just can't shake it off of me. Like like and just be like a you know what did Elon Musk say like. Um, <sighs> Like I'd rather be an optimist and be wrong, yeah, or something yeah. like that, or a pessimist being right. Yeah, I, I'd rather be an optimist and be wrong than be a pessimist and be right. Yeah, I think that's probably like the healthier attitude to have. That way, you don't have as much anxiety and stress. See, in but your the life, thing but is, like, I don't know if this is so much pessimism than it I, is like reality. Well, the optimistic outlook would be like, oh, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll recover. You know, we always have in the past. And stuff. I mean, that's which true. we will. We but, will. But to my thinking but is, there might be bloodshed. Yeah, that's, he even said that himself. Yeah, because yeah, if if you're if you're if we're claiming this whole uh, financial system goes down, there's going to be a trickle down effect, and in those types of environments, usually like uh, uprises happen. You know, just yeah, just people are going to be desperate, man. It's going to be bad times in yeah. in, a, in a whole uh, global downturn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it it has to just just by the nature of the functionality of what we're doing to the economy, like quantitative sa- easing, yeah. the fact that uh, we have rampant inflation in other countries, the fact that the dollar is the world reserve currency, and it's and it's and you know Andreas even said it, de-dollarization is starting to happen around the globe, mm-hmm. and so yeah, the weakening the- of the dollar is going to lead to this collapse. Yeah, and there's good reason for that because yeah, the United States their per, their uh, leverage is their U.S. dollar, the power of it. Right? Yeah. So yeah, if if I was the leader of Russia or China, of course I would do anything I could think of to try and limit that power. So no longer when we go to these trade meetings, like I have to just like you know sit back and do whatever the United States says, right? Because they have right. all the leverage. Right, right, right. That's how the geopolitical landscape is today, and that's what I was saying. Like, is this? This whole crypto thing is this. Uh, there's potential there for there, like a reset. Like no longer. I mean, that's bad for us because we're, we're in the United States. Yeah. You know, but yeah. but maybe it's probably but, better for humanity if there is a reset button. Well, let's clarify because it, like you're saying, it is bad for us because the United States is sort of leading, you know, the world. Yeah. You know, right next to China. Yeah. But it's also good for the United States because most of the people in the United States aren't benefiting from this good economy. Yeah. You know. So. I agree. It's it's probably just a net gain. The only people who, are, well, maybe even the top one percent, they don't even really get affected because they're they're the ones who cause it to tumble. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's, it's a tough situation. I want to look in here. Um, we've been there was something I wanted to add about the '90s internet. Oh, the fact that I wanted to clarify specifically 
that, you know, we use this quote about the 90s internet, you know, representing the development of blockchain, right? And, but there's also a, a difference in the technologies of the internet versus the technologies and the implications and the results of blockchain, meaning currencies, right? Cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And so with the internet, it was just a new way to communicate across the globe, cheaply, effectively. Yeah. And, but with cri- cryptocurrencies, it's a literal attack on the foundation of the monetary system. Well, 100%, if you read, like, Satoshi's white paper, it's, it's a response, yeah. at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. to... Uh, the 2008 crisis. Yeah, it's a, so it's maybe not so much an attack, but it's definitely a, a response. So, so the creator of this Bitcoin had in mind, like, you know, we need an alternate system yeah. in case this happens again. Yeah. You know, or maybe in his thinking, or uh, whoever created Bitcoin, they probably didn't think the the banks were going to get bailed out or something like that. You know, maybe they thought this is over. Yeah. You know, there is no recovering from something like this. And so they, they, they felt the, the need, mm-hmm. whoever Satoshi is, to create this alternative system, you know. Yeah. The time it, it is just... It's so peculiar yeah. because... Like it could that, just be a coincidence. I don't know. It has to be a coincidence. Either it has to be. Yeah, it probably like, is most likely. It, it's just a culmination of different technologies being like put together at the right time, mm-hmm. and it and it's coincidentally coming out right at the bottom, right, yeah. two thousand nine, yeah. of of the economy. Um, but I I I think the when I say attack, I think it's more of like it's it is a response to our current you know monetary system, mm-hmm. but it's it's. I say attack because it competes with the monetary system, the mechanisms that, that prop up our current monetary system. Yeah. It competes with that very thing. And the reason why we're so kind of adamant about like this doomsday kind of like situation is because we see like the things that are happening to the dollar and all the other currencies in, in, in the world cannot sustain any longer, right? There's going to be a point where it's going to collapse. And to us, the only safe haven is going to be a cryptocurrency that 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 has no no way to be manipulated like it's like fiat is being manipulated because right now like quantitative easing is pr- literally printing money to buy assets from from I guess markets that can't use or nobody wants to buy those assets. Yeah. And so that's injecting money into the economy and the only problem is if those those institutions that you're buying assets from decide not to spend that money and instead hoard it or invest it or not enter that into circulation, you know, that, that increases the problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think what Ray Dalio was saying is that they got that quantitative easing money and they've invested instead of spend it. Mm -hmm. And so now we're, we're at a point where more quantitative easing is not going to do anything. So, but yeah, man, like I thought that was a, a good conversation, man. We need, we need like two hours with this guy. We need two hours, like, every, like yeah, that that is the best way to do things. I feel like yeah, because when you only have like a set amount of time, we have to do what we just like. You gotta come up with some questions. Yeah, it it know? felt it felt fast. It was fast. I dude. don't know if it was rushed, <laughs> but it it felt fast. No, I think that's just that's just the the man. You know, he's yeah. very. I well, like yeah, maybe he yeah he had a schedule to maintain. You know, yeah. So. Most importantly, that that was like what was like on my on the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. But I felt like. I had to get all these questions in, and I, I couldn't really reflect on his response too much, even though we kind of did, like, in real time. But Yeah. I mean, there's so much more you could go into. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, we get it. We didn't want to outright come out and be like, hey, how does how does uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency scale? Like, this shit's slow, bro. Like, yeah. how does this shit get faster? Because he's been asked that 
Dude, a million, million times. times. And it's like, oh, we're just going to add on to that pile of yeah. like, you know, hey, bro, <laughs> you know, it's like Bitcoin is cool and all, but it's just like super slow. Like, how do you fix that? And then, but yeah. so we were kind of more interested in by Will asking the one network multi-chain idea. It's kind of like, yeah. We're way ahead of like, fro- like to me, the, the way that when I hear that question about the scaling to me, is like, yeah. I remember, I remember in the early 2000s or yeah. It was the early 2000s. We were still using dial-up internet. Yeah. And it took forever for everything to load. But nobody at the time was like, man, like, yeah, you couldn't foresee how fast this shit was going to get. Exactly. It's just, this is what the internet was. And we were just, we accepted it, but we still used it. Yeah. yeah we, we dealt with it. And when it comes <laughs> to, like, Bitcoin or, or Ethereum or any other slow blockchain, yeah, like, that's the trade-off that you make right now to, to get the benefits of no censorship, um reliability the security all the stuff that these blockchains brings us like you you'll trade the speed for that yeah for now true and this speed thing will get resolved eventually and all of a sudden we're making transactions in much faster than visa yeah i think the reason why like the scalability thing is is so such a hot question to ask is because that a lot of that speculation is what drove that that 2017 cycle that's true like a lot of the biggest run-ups and and like, and like imagine imagine a Bitcoin Core says, "Hey, we got a we got a solution to the scalability issue. We're gonna see you know a hundred thousand transactions per second now." Yeah, and well, that's all of a sudden that's yeah. from a speculation standpoint, you you you'd expect the price to go up. Yeah, so it's buy time every time it's once true. you see that announcement. Yeah, that's why like I, I whenever I was investing in twenty seventeen or speculating, whatever you want to call it, like the thing I focused on because I recognized the biggest gripe within the community is like how the scaling issue yeah uh with bitcoin and ethereum and it was evident because of the cult cryptocurrency or you know crypto kitty uh congestion uh event yeah these are these events are are important man you can't you know know what if if it wasn't for crypto kitties there would be no interest in scale in scaling anything well there was interest but there was it was like it was kind of like just vaguely talked about but it wasn't like proven like holy shit everyone is everyone who's like you know, speculator, like, uh, what's the, a hater, I guess, of the Ethereum network at the time? Like, I told you. Yeah. They were like, yep, see? <laughs> it's like yeah. Ethereum won't work. It's just, it's like vapor. Everyone's claiming it's vaporware now because how are you going to run a decentralized general yeah. purpose blockchain? You it can't, can't even handle it. one dApp. Yeah, that's you right. You know? So then all of a sudden these new blockchain 2.0 projects started popping up. Mm. Everyone claiming they could scale to a million plus. Yeah. You know, and that's where all the, you know, and the market went crazy over that shit. And ultimately, Andreas is right. Like, when it comes to scalability, it's not a destination. It's a journey. So once yeah. you have Ethereum and you have one dApp called CryptoKitties, like, choke the entire network. Yeah. You you see all these, like, second chain and, and all these, like, scalability solutions prop up. Yeah. And then once once Matic and, and, and Raiden Plasma and, and Raiden and all of these, all like, get lightning. launched and people start using it. Yeah. Somebody's going to create a dApp that uses the entire, like, bandwidth of that network. Yeah. And then there's going to be not necessarily a third level, but there's going to be updates and all kinds of stuff. So... Well, yeah, there's gonna be a thir- like is it, there's gonna be a third la- level that's gonna be like, hey, we make the second level even quicker. Yeah, it's just gonna keep piling and piling and piling. Why not? Because people will buy into it. You know? As long as there's proof that yeah. more bandwidth is needed, like a second version of CryptoKitties. Yeah. No, but I I I, I love the idea. Of like you know the understanding we need to understand better the, the how these chains are going to be interoperable is what you know that that's yeah. that's a key term you know i saw one example of 
like this interoperability mm -hmm. happening is when you go to a store and you use your phone to make a cryptocurrency transaction, the phone between the phone and the POS system or the point of sale system, they do sort of like a cryptocurrency handshake where like the point of sale system is saying like, I accept, you know, these 100 different currencies, but I like these six because I have liquidity in them. And then the phone says, hey, I, I own these three different cryptocurrencies. And then the phone and the, the point of sale system communicate and do a handshake and say, okay, they select the cryptocurrency for the, for the transaction. And in that second that you're tapping your phone for that purchase, mm -hmm. that negotiation happens and you don't even know what cryptocurrency you use. Well, I guess you would use in this case, Bitcoin, but it's, it is settled on a different blockchain. Yeah. Like Nano or, you know, any other blockchain that makes sense for the given transaction. Yeah. See, that's beautiful. That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. we don't. I mean, if I have Bitcoin, yeah, I just you won't, pay, yeah. and I yeah, don't worry no about. No idea that shit just went down. You know, it's exactly like how credit cards transactions happen. Yeah, as soon as you swipe or dip your card, it touches so many, so many institutions, like six or seven different institutions that touch that transaction, but you don't really know it. You just dip or swipe your card, and you just walk out, and that's it. Yeah. It's incredible, man. Yeah. And like, like, I think he recognizes that he sees all this development, and so he's like. I'm not even worried about it. It's not even a, an issue for me, the scaling issue. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's like you said, you know, the people who really care about this technology, like at the beginning, like even us in Decentraland, you know. Yeah. And Yeah, we care about it because we have we, we have a little business. <laughs> yeah. We have a little business in Decentraland and we depend on like actual mana transactions and we don't want to uh but make our users like wait for, for like yeah. a little Game, but I know? anticipate like the initial user base for the whole platform is going to be people who are they're tolerant, they're aware, yeah, they're tolerant. tolerant, yeah, yeah. For like sure, you said they're going to be like those people who were using the broadband connection. Yeah, for sure, you know, like we just dealt with it because we understood the value of the the ecosystem. Right? Most importantly, Technology. Andreas knows, I mean, understands the value of NFTs, and he understands that gaming is going to yeah. play a huge role. Yeah, so. Shout out to Decentraland and all the other metaverses out there that are creating on blockchain. Yeah, and all the all the you know gods unchained, uh, crypto kitties, everyone who's creating products, you know, unique. Yeah. NFT, they're issuing unique NFTs out there. You know, we talked like, to Metalith a couple of weeks ago. You know, this is a fucking barely taking off, dude. Yeah. Like this thing is still asleep. Yeah, this is 2011 <laughs> of Bitcoin. That's right. Like, yeah, NFTs. It's, it's, like, it's like you're buying Bitcoin and like. Five bucks. Yeah, I feel. I feel because yeah, the ecosystem hasn't even been built. Yeah, that's like, right. You know, we're trying to work on that. That's right. You know, we're trying to improve things here and there. Yeah, and so are other people. You know, but we want to see this thing succeed just because we see the, uh, the potential, man. Yeah, and and the other thing that I liked a lot about this interview is that there was a uh, uh, the tiny reference to what Andrew Yang keeps talking about. Yeah, and the uh, which the part the the fact that um, that the economy could be booming. Mm -hmm. But the markets are like struggling. The people are struggling. Yeah, man, that's that's important to talk about because it's, it's like underlying for sure. Like there's something wrong with our psyche and stuff, you know. <sighs> yeah. So I mean, how much worse will it get whenever the economy starts reacting? What are you doing? Oh, trying just, to, trying to get it in frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make it like an Andrew Yang like a uh, campaign a video, like a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like a, a compilation of our like our math hats at least. Yeah, yeah. Be like yo, Yang, dude. No, our math hats are out here representing for you. Yeah. But, yeah, so yeah, he's the one who kind of brought that to the mainstream attention. Dude, he's bringing so much shit to mainstream attention. 
Yeah, that's man. the va- that's the value of him as a candidate. I, so so let's talk about some questions that we want to ask Andreas in the next interview. Like I want to ask him about UBI. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's 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 a big one for me because in my opinion, I think UBI is absolutely necessary. Not because I want free money, or I believe in free money, or I believe the government in giving free money away. It's not that. It's that I don't see a solution to automation. I don't see a solution to AI taking over a bunch of jobs. I just don't see it. Now, I'm not, this is not a religion, okay? So I can be convinced out of this if I see some evidence, some data mm-hmm. that represents something else other than what I'm, what I'm seeing. But if it's not a UBI, I mean, there's a reason why Elon is for it. Zuck is for it. You know, obviously Andrew Yang. And there's so many, so many other people that are, are for UBI. I, and these guys are, they got sufficient amount of money. They're, they don't care about an extra $1,000 a month. Yeah. So that's at least one question that I, I want to talk to Andreas about. UBI. Yeah, you got, you got any? Uh, Dude, I just want him to go deeper into the fucking doom and gloom hole, man. That's all I want for some reason. And not just him. I, yeah. I also want to talk about Libra and, See, and fiat currency. Maybe, but, yeah, like stable coins, I guess. Oh, yeah, DeFi. Yeah, DeFi for sure. Yeah, man. We originally booked him. We're like, man, we need to go deep into DeFi yeah. with Andreas. You know, I'm sure he's got a lot to say about well, it. Well, I'm sure he loves it. If he loves NFTs, he's gonna love DeFi. DeFi is built on Ethereum. Yeah, that's another thing that could help. You know, bring in some. But again, see that DeFi addresses like a a market that doesn't have that banking infrastructure. So it's yeah. kind of like in correlation hey, with crypto. You know what? It it affects the first world market too because in a savings account, well. I guess if you're in the top 1%, you don't have a savings account. You have your money already invested in, like, other mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But typically, a savings account nets you, like, 0.1% or less. Yeah. And so DeFi gives you at least 2 to 3% now. Yeah. Can, I remember the days it was 15%. Um, but I'm just wondering if that if that, if that that difference in percentage is enough uh, to sell to the uh, general population to, like, trust this, you know, yeah. this the ecosystem that they had known nothing about. And it's, like... It's not even regulated yet. Stuff like that. You know, this is all good stuff for crypto people. Yeah. You know, for us, like for traders, especially, this is good yeah. for them. Yeah, for you sure. You know what I mean? For sure. And that's why I say I think Andreas nailed it. Like, yeah, video gaming and blockchain game, all that stuff has like a huge uh, role to play, you know? Yeah. What's more attractive than games? I guess porn, but I don't see too much blockchain porn going on. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see the application there. I mean, there's got to be an application. Well, just uh, the currency aspect. I mean, yeah. you don't have to really depend on, like, uh, a yeah, service provider to pay you. Mm-hmm. Right? They might go bankrupt and take all your money, right? So you may not necessarily want to depend on that. Mm-hmm. What are you looking up? I'm looking up his book. I want to make sure I want to make sure um, that I get the name of this book right. Mastering Ethereum. That's what, it, that's what he was talking about. Yeah. So he's got a chapter in there on NFTs. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, we didn't have enough time to read all the books, unfortunately. Yeah. You read The Internet of Money, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So, yeah. but Mastering Ethereum, I thought it was a little bit more technical, but, and I think, it, I think it actually is. I just didn't know that he really went deep into NFTs there. Yeah. That's our bad. Yeah. <laughs> we can leave him, uh, well, that's good. If you're into NFTs, then yeah, this is a good book to check out. You just got to be like, there's limited material on this, you know, this NFT space. Yeah, I mean, we we looked up Andreas Antonopoulos <laughs> NFT yeah. on YouTube and got found nothing. Yeah, nothing. Not a men- single mention. But, yeah, again, that's our bad for not reading that book. Yeah. <laughs> Should have done our due diligence, Willis. You were <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, 
30 minutes, man. We optimized the uh, what we had, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm happy with that. Yeah, no, this was good. This was good. Hopefully, he wants to come back on. We want to do a deep dive on, like, Doomsday. And, like, be frank about it. Like, yeah, I understand, like, he doesn't want to cause, like, fear-mongering. But let's be real. Shit doesn't look good. Yeah, maybe we need to bring someone else on to, like, really, like, spill out the fear. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a, like an actual... Uh, well, he's in, he, he studied economy, right? And, uh, economics, didn't he? Like, uh, yeah, I think early so. in his career? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying he's not an actual economist. Maybe we should bring on somebody who, like, that's their main focus, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Maybe somebody who's more, like, involved in, like, uh... Oh, I got someone just in mind. Maybe I'll try and reach out to him. Ray Dalio? <laughs> <laughs> hey, what <well, yeah. laughs> Someone else, but yeah, he produces uh, also like YouTube content. I think he might have a podcast himself, but he's he puts out like uh, newsletters all the time. He's a, gold, he's a big gold guy, but he's also a big crypto guy. Okay, because yeah, he sees that you got to hedge the market. You yeah, know? yeah, and he's always talking about that this kind of stuff that we're interested in. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess like next year we can uh, book some more things. But we also got some uh, interest in if some some of our Discord members want to start like a. Uh, a decentraland focused kind of like a community podcast in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and we can start with like a sort of like a round table of contributors in decentraland cuz we have some uh I would say like gripes but also concerns and we have some hopes for decentraland to like, you know, I just think it's good to get everyone together and just like, like you hash know, it out to kind of get like a everyone's like vision yeah. know, aligned. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, there's there's been groups who have like uh, who've uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Who've collected, who've who've assembled, um, yeah, that didn't really amount to anything. Just because we have different ideologies, different views on like what we would want to build with a given piece of land. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and like the governing governance issues, like it's hard. Like I think ultimately, Decentraland is like if you own land. You got to figure out what to deploy on that land to increase the value, make money from the land, whatever you can think of, maybe showcase some art, whatever it is that you want to do with the land. You can't really depend on anybody around that land because mm-hmm. it's just not, it's too difficult. Everybody has like you other concerns. You can't right now because everything feels like isolated in a way. And it, it truly is, you know. Yeah, yeah. Currently, you know, that's what we're going to attempt to uh, we got a couple people who confirmed they want to come on so yeah if if they do uh come on we could have you me and oscar on that's five people yeah. right there yeah and we'll just like discuss like you know we're we're relatively new to the project what like six seven months or something in yeah it feels like uh, we've been in it for like 10 <laughs> years dude yeah most of these people so are, weird. they've been in it since like 2017 that's true you know they a lot have. of them that's why a lot of them us, we're not as uh, dejected, I guess. Yeah, because we weren't sold on their Jaded. grand vision from the beginning. Like the beginning, their I vision. I would if I had seen this. I mean, I did see it in 2017. I didn't know that in 2017 they were focused on VR. Yeah. But had I seen it and like paid attention to it, I would have automatically known that VR is a non-starter. Mm. Like, there's not enough hardware out there. There's not enough users to depend on an entire project on VR. Yeah, and there are some people who are betting on VR, like Somnium Space and. Yeah, for sure. Maybe uh, Facebook. Well, I mean, Facebook owns Oculus, so I understand that. Mm-hmm. So, but you still think, like, for sure, VR shouldn't even be like a. I don't think it's a concern right now, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, others. I know others disagree. Like, what's that transition like to get to that point? Do you like? 
I think it's like, uh, hey, we got Decentraland. It runs on your phone, your browser, whatever it is. It runs on there. You can play it anytime on your phone, whatever. Yeah, you have you have a character, an account, whatever. You're 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 still experiencing the content. Yeah, you're, you're accruing NFTs. And if you have a building VR your reputation, headset, all that, put it on. Enjoy the exact same gameplay, but in VR. Mm. Like that's not like critical in my eyes. Now, of course, there's going to be experiences dedicated for VR, like in Decentraland. But uh, but there's going to be experiences not dedicated to VR. So what would that look like? Like you're just walking down the street in your VR headset, but... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and then there's some games that you could play or some, some things that you can interact with that require like 3D motion space yeah, and exactly. interact, interactability. Yeah. Uh, but then there are games that don't require all that. Yeah. So, I mean... So, so like, like when you're walking uh, in between metas, like you're, you're not necessarily interacting with anything. You're yeah. just kind of like walking by... Yeah. And everything's passing you by. Yeah. Like you're not expected to reach out and like grab an apple off a tree or anything right. like that. But if you enter a specific meta, that's like, yeah. And think of a like a switch, like a, a switch that you literally grab and you pull, uh-huh. right? So maybe the interaction of grabbing and pulling with a VR headset is is just a simple click or tap on your phone, and then it it does the same interactivity. Oh yeah, that's like that's like how things work now. Yeah, it's like so a little hitbox or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, the so I just don't see VR being like such a critical component to Decentraland like most people have. Now I understand it was sold to people as a VR platform. Yeah. And that's what they paid for. I get that. It's just when you hit the 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 tire meets the road, like it makes no sense to spend resources on that mm-hmm. from from a business standpoint. But man, I don't yeah. know how we got into that. Well, cuz most likely like we're going to have to set that up pretty soon. So yeah, yeah. It's good to start thinking about it now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, like, that's our, that's our, I don't know, that's our passion project, man. So we really got, I'm always constantly thinking about that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but yeah, we'll see. Like, that's just oh. one topic we can potentially address, I, you know. So I thought of some other predictions that I didn't, like, bring up in the last podcast. So we made some predictions for 2020. I think one of them is, I mean, this is pretty safe prediction, but if it's not Andrew Yang as the Democratic candidate, we're going to see Trump for another four years. Okay, yeah. And if we, if, if, for example, let's say in this scenario, Andrew Yang ends up winning, I think we're going to see some sort of a recession at minimum the following four years. If because, not, if yeah. not worse than a recession. Yeah. Only because I think Trump is really propping up the, the economy right now. From like a graphical standpoint, right, uh, there's still a lot of people suffering. So l- I want to be clear. I think the only role he could potentially have in propping up the economy is just taming any kind of like trade conflict with china because he's been pushing that yeah. button all yeah, yeah. year long on and off on and off on and off and we've seen the volatility that causes so i think like uh, i don't know one of his advisors probably be like hey put the brakes on this whole trade uh, tariff battle yeah until you get your re-election then i think he's gonna really ramp it up there's gonna be tons of tension between the china and the united states it's it's inevitable man like yeah uh, but don't don't you think that's that's sort of tipping the like the, the breaking point for currencies and all that i have no idea like I, I feel like I think he's, for sure it's he's got an interest, like a major interest. He's like top, let's say two percent, right? Rich people. Who Trump? Trump. Yeah. Uh huh. So he's got an he's got an interest to like maintain that. Mm-hmm. So and so I'm thinking he's not going to be pushing the buttons so much. Mm. That's that's my opinion, right? That's that's Trump trying to maintain his wealth. Yeah, but I think he's made he's made his legacy like he wants to. Kind of like how Herbert Hoover did, like I said, like they said, pre uh, Great Depression, he put a lot of tariff pressure on Europe. Yeah. 
to try and like bring manufacturing and industry back, you know, solidify like the United States is the industry mecca of the world. Mm-hmm. That's Trump's legacy, his mission. He wants to take that power away from China and put it back into the United States. So, th- so he says, and that obviously it might not be good timing, just like it was back then. Yeah, uh, it's not good timing now because there's so much like sensitivity in the markets right now. You know, the way to gain that power is to invest in artificial intelligence and automation. Because what's cheaper than child labor? Mm-hmm. What, what, what's cheaper than child labor? That's a question. What's cheaper than child labor? Yeah. I guess automation. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just threw that out there because I knew that's where you were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't have no data to back that up. But no. I, I assume it's true or else they wouldn't if be working If you scale it out, if you scale yeah. it out, it's true because robots work for 24-7. Exactly. Right? They don't require, like, any... Food nurturing. or yeah, like mental stability, like exactly. none of that stuff. Yeah, no, I get it, but see, that's another thing. I think I'm pretty sure China's way ahead of us in that in that realm. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like if we invest in that technology now, yeah. Then well, that's another thing Andrew Yang says. I remember he yeah, got asked yeah. he got asked that question on the debate stage. He's like, you know, how do you deal with China? And like, they're you know, yeah. It was. I think the question was that simple. How do you deal with China? Most of the other candidates were like. Your usual yeah. bullshit, like, you know. Like tariffs and pressure he, and. Yeah, just diplomacy. But he actually addressed, like, the technology issue. He's always yeah. thinking about that. That's the, that's Because that's, it, I agree with him. That is the cause of everything that's happening. Yeah. It's it, not like, it, 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 his greatest, like, quote is, when you walk into uh, a manufacturing facility, you don't, you don't see, like, like, rows and rows of human beings, like, or, or immigrants slaving away. What you see is a bunch of robots <laughs> doing That's the work. Funny, yeah, it's true. I and mean, it used to be that way, but yeah, and it's, it's only going to get progressively get more and more. In that yeah, direction. dude. Not only that, it's like I mean, we see it. Like, there's vehicles in Houston that that drive by themselves to deliver food to your house. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen it already. Mm-hmm. Like, just extrapolate that. That's that's somebody's job that used to you know drive and deliver food. So, ah, like, prove me wrong, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Well, my bad for spooking you, dude. <laughs> Shit. Showing you all those, you know. I, I don't even remember how we got to that point. Well, Dude, that's just I don't know, man. It's the truth. Like, I think so. You think I'm on? You know, I. It's like um, you'd rather I'd rather know the truth than be naive. Be naive, yeah. Yeah, just naively think like everything. That's what I said. Like, I, I like At our generation hasn't had like any real existential threat to it, other than maybe nine eleven. That's the only yeah. thing I can really concoct. And, and Andreas even talked about it. He said. He's old enough to yeah. existed during the uh, Nin- Soviet Union and right. the Cold War. Yeah. And uh, we were Berlin talking about Wall. this yesterday. We're like, dude, it's like we never had something like that where every day we wake up that we have the possibility we're going to get fucking nuked or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, that's an existential reality that you live in. Like no yeah. longer, you're always aware of like your own mortality, basically. Yeah. And our lives, our generation, we have barely been conflicted, confronted with it's that. true. And, and in our geographical location. Obviously, there's crazy shit going on. Yeah, for sure. Around the world. For sure. But what I'm saying is I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to live out my entire life and not yeah, go not through one of this. these. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I have. I totally the, agree. You agree, right? Yeah. yeah. So I start to piece things together. And, yeah, I agree with Andreas that, like, yeah, we don't want to think like that. Like, uh, nobody's hoping for this. I would hope not. Yeah, yeah. I recognize, yeah, if you're holding cryptocurrencies or gold and then all this doomsday shit goes down, you know, these things are going to appreciate in value. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I'm buying them. Yeah. But I'm, I, that's know. what that's. So this is what this is what like is going through my mind is uh, I have a lot of family who mm. 401ks, all that stuff. Yeah. 
And I have to figure out some kind of way to at least warn them so they can at least hedge against like the stock market. Yeah. In 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 some some provable way, right? Because it sounds like it's you just can't dump your whole yeah. life. Like a lot of the, our uh, our parents' generation, they were they were they literally existed almost like they worked their whole lives uh, with that carrot yeah. ahead of them. That's, That's right. A, it just had four hundred one k written on it. You know, retirement, golden years. Yeah. They used all these like key like the marketing for all these uh yep. you know these retirement funds they did it very well yeah they put it in their brains at a young age like if you don't contribute to this by the time you retire and you can't work anymore your life's gonna be miserable yeah and, and they've they've profited greatly off of that and all yeah. signs are pointing to that falling apart at, at the buzzard yeah. yeah whenever they need it right whenever they when they're about to like check out that's mm-hmm. when it falls apart yeah. So there's a real that's a real problem to talk about and address. You know, we're like a little crypto channel here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're like talking <laughs> about existential threats. <laughs> yeah, just because I'm I'm waiting for it, man. And yeah. that's just my personality. You know. Yeah. I don't know. You can call me whatever the fuck you want, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> and then final thoughts. Uh, we mm-hmm. we saw a uh, a couple of violent events occur. Ah. And that's also got me a little bit more. I don't know. It's hit me a little bit different than than. The ones in the past, even though ones in the past are like much, much like bigger, worse, worse, yeah, yeah. Like uh, man, we saw one in Brazil. Like, dude, I don't even want to. Yeah, let's like, not even talk about that one. That one's <laughs> that one's like one of That's the bad. worst that I've ever seen. So why did this one hit you different? Because because it was you saw the whole event. Like, well, in three seconds, we yeah. in three seconds, two dudes were shot, and then in a church, and then uh, what's it in called? White settlement. White settlement, Texas. Texas. And then uh, one of the officers there who were there to protect everybody there mm-hmm. in one shot killed killed the uh, the shooter. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's I, I, that's it's giving me like a weird feeling. Like it's 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 illustrating to me that the gun debate is spilt milk. Yeah, and there is there's literally no solution besides arming yourself. Like well, that's the thing. It's it's crazy because two events happened on this day. There was that event, and there was also a stabbing in New in York, New York, of uh, like the, a Hanukkah celebration or something. The Five exact people opposite, right? Yeah. So you could this. It's kind of crazy that these two events happened like on the exact same day because that's why it's like so political. Yeah. Because both events like support the opposing arguments. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? The yeah. Sh- the dichotomy is you have yeah. one guy using a what was it a a machete? A machete. Yeah. And. And then you have another guy, you have a good guy with a gun killing the shooter. Yeah, so both, like, mentally disturbed people with the purpose, the intent to just kill or attack as many people as possible. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming, to, obviously, to kill. Yeah. yeah. Even with the machete, he's, like, he's trying to kill people. Yeah. But what happened, I think five people got stabbed, but nobody actually died in New York, I think. Uh, I'm not 100% up to date on that. But... We saw what happened in that church. He had a shotgun. He sh- he killed two people within a, like a couple seconds. Yeah. And if there wasn't a man there, an armed civilian, he could have killed like six more. Or so oh. wh- whatever's in the the chamber. Yeah, I mean, I, who knows if he had more guns? But the point is, yeah, uh, that's that's the support of like you know you can't make carrying weapons illegal because yeah, it's already out there. Yeah, like these people who are deranged, you know. The most likely they're gonna find access to a yeah, weapon for like sure. That. If if that's their goal, like they know this is their last act on this earth. Yeah. Why not go through the effort to at least you know find a a yeah. black market weapon? I was um, telling which, you once once we got together, we were, the first thing we were talking about is the shooting. Yeah. And um, I forget there was um 
there was something that you said about it that uh, I can't remember right now. Something about like uh, I I don't remember. It was something about maybe purchasing a gun or something. I forget what it was now. What get a Glock? <laughs> no, <Nah>, it was <laughs> something else. Um, but yeah. Anyway, but yeah. The point is, <coughs> yeah, it, it's an ugly topic because you know nobody wins at the end of the day, and it's 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 yeah, that's it's, exactly right. Nobody yeah. wins. Yeah, and it's part of our culture, unfortunately. And yeah, this, obviously, this mental health shit is like out of control. It's like rampant. Like, who the fuck thinks about that? Like, they want to yeah. go to a church and just oh, kill people. I remember what it was I, that I was interested in. Like, this guy's economics right oh, is, is he yeah. you know yeah, you're more concerned about the incentive yeah the incentive obviously. like the motivation motivation yeah uh you know was he down on his luck you know what was it that like set him off or was he just like a religious fanatic or anti-religious fanatic i don't know what you know that's what i'm curious about yeah and a lot of people you know they they don't want that information to be released because that's kind of like it brings glory and fame to their yeah know, their but I think in a, and in a healthy, you know. mentally stable society, those situations tend to not happen as often. And yeah. so what sort of, what, what do we need to do from a societal standpoint to improve mental health, financial health, you know, all these things that could lead to less mass killings? Yeah, this is another like spilled milk debate, dude. We don't, well, f- it's hard to pinpoint any one thing. It's just like a conglomeration of, I feel like in a healthy society, like where people are not like in a scarcity mode, mm-hmm. they're a lot less prone to committing these acts. But I mean, there's tons of countries out there that, okay, like Brazil is a perfect example. There's tons of gun violence, but there's like rarely mass shootings. Yeah, that's like true. Like that's, 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 you know. That's true. It, it almost never happens. Yeah. Like, but here, I mean, there's all, but they're, but they're violence is still rampant. Like, you know, robberies and stuff like that. People get killed all the time in Brazil because See, of that. Financial, element, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're stressed. They're dying over there. See, I'm hungry. I, from uh, so I'm a big science guy, right? So I want, from a scientific standpoint, I want a a control group, which we have already, a control a control group where there's scarcity, meaning you start with zero dollars in this economy and you work your way up, and let's see where things lead. Mm-hmm. So we have plenty of examples of that. What I want is another test of people who have an abundance. Right, they have money at least to pay for the bare necessities. And what effect does that society have compared to the society where you start with zero dollars? That's what I'm curious about. Well, like Andrew Yang's kind of doing that. He's funding like a few families from his own yeah. money or something. See, but that's not enough. That's not enough. Yeah, and then you need a bigger sample pool. Yeah, you need you need an entire country to not be in scarcity mode. But to, to what extent? Like, well, just a country, not, not like complete. You know, lack of. Well, I mean, dude. Uh, just down the street here, there is literally uh, ho- like th- hundreds and hundreds of homeless people in tents. Yeah. It's tent city yeah. down the street from here. Mm-hmm. And all those guys with Andrew Yang would get $1,000 a month. Yeah. And if they put, if you, you put three of those guys together into like an apartment, that's more than enough money to like live without so much worry. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just curious as to what effect, you know, something like this has on society. Yeah. I honestly don't think it will have much effect on these mass shooting issues, but. Really? I, I think that's a different issue. I don't know, dude. It will have, it will have a huge effect on impact. I would, on I would like bet against what you're, what you're saying. Mm. That, that would be my bet. That's just my guess. Yeah, who knows? I would bet against it that. It could have like a trickle, like a, yeah, I think like a thousand dollars a month would have like implications we can't even think of. Like, like, uh. 
that's a, less a, incentive a, to go to jail, right? Or like a, a, a couple with like young children who are so financially stressed that it, it damages their relationship to the point where the parents separate. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got children raised in, you know, single parent households, which statistically is, uh, it leads to, yeah. you know, a, a frivolous life choices. You yeah. know what I mean? Lower quality of life. Yeah. So, and a lot of these uh, school shooters, they have like, you know, hectic ha- uh, household environments. So, yeah. Yeah, I would think a thousand dollars. Yeah, I think a thousand dollars a month would help in those situations. Yeah, like no longer is that couple like so financially burdened to like they start hating each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like every day is like an argument. Like you don't make enough fucking money, <laughs> you dumb fuck. Like shit <laughs> like that. Like it won't happen because they got two grand coming in a month because they're both adults. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they still love each other. They stay together and they raise the family together. And and that's also you know. with the presumption that people can handle extra money. Which some exactly. people cannot, right? So, <laughs> so there's still going to be pockets and elements of like uh, no success with an extra thousand dollars a month. True, but I think I think the what's the alternative? That's my response. Yeah, like if you don't do this now, when people kind of have jobs now and AI automation, all that stuff, all technology take over most a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the alternative? Like there is there is none. I haven't heard any other alternative solution than UBI. Yeah. Well, anyways, that was one of the more interesting conversations we've had this year. Yeah, for sure. Like you, dude. That yeah, that was rocket speed. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at the Block Runner. Uh, we'll put all the links in the description. That way, you can buy Andreas's books. Make sure you watch all his YouTube videos as well. Um, yeah, definitely read the books because it's definitely everything. Is not on YouTube for sure. Yeah, everything's not on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> we we just ex- we just proved that. Yeah, you know? exactly. But we're about to add on some new NFT knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Some new NFT wisdom. I don't know if we're gonna. We should what, just title. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, for sure. Just put it in the title somewhere. Yeah. You know, if someone's looking to find out more of the NFT, and you know, we should timestamp that. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Yeah. Twenty nineteen's a wrap. Yeah. Make sure coming. also follow or join our Discord. There's a lot of stuff going on there too. So definitely, and especially if you're into to, uh, finding out more about the century. Yeah, yeah. We need like we need some. We just need more DCL uh, passionate people around us. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Never hurts. That's always cool. All right, guys. Appreciate it, and we'll see you in 2020. All right, we're out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Blockrunner podcast. Make sure you visit our website, theblockrunner.com, and sign up to stay up to date on the latest in crypto. Also, reach out to us on Twitter at theblockrunner. Yeah.